So who made resolutions for the new year? Anyone? N no one made the resolution? Oh, what's... Read more books? Oh, very good. I guess all the resolute people are like doing childcare or whatever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, interestingly enough, I read this story the other day about Mark Zuckerberg, the Facebook guy, you know? And he does this, like, really intense, aggressive resolution every year. Um, one year, he said he was only going to eat meat that he killed himself. Which, I think he lives in Silicon Valley, which uh, is going to limit his choices on that. Um, another year, he, he, he wanted to learn Mandarin in a year, which I don't imagine is a very easy language to just learn in a year. Um, but this year, he said he wants to read a different book every other week. So you and Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, and of course, he's going to network it, you know, and probably find a way to monetize it. Um, uh, Jason, the manager at the Y across the street, um, a couple weeks ago, asked me, he's like, can we use your parking lot in January? We don't need it now, not in December, but we need it in January because we're going to have all these people. Uh, so resolution traffic, you know. Um, I also... <laughs> In Time Magazine, you know, a simple Google search will yield um, four surefire ways to make sure your re your resolutions stick. And um, I'm a little skeptical because the first one was resolve to resolve, you know, which just seems circular logic. So, kind of my my resolution this year was to like invite nice people like Josh to share their resolution and then to say, I don't really care for resolutions that much um, to embarrass you all uh, from the pulpit. No, but the reason I don't really care for resolution, I, I, I think there's some potential problems with it, right? And I sense you guys think that too because not a, not a lot of you guys resolve to resolve. I think a lot of, a lot of times our resolutions can be individualistic, you know, instead of communal. And we, we often fail because we're not specific enough. We just say we want to we want to do something, we want to be something, but we don't have a plan. We expect a like a voila, you know, and it's normally more like measured and steady and faithful. And probably the last reason I don't like um, resolutions is because you're supposed to make them for yourself. They're really easy to make for other <laughs> for other people, especially spouses and kids. This kid is going to walk this year. <coughs> but instead of resolutions, um, I want to spend a little time today talking about New Year's reorientations. So I, I think that might be more valuable for us. To, to reorient ourselves around the simple fact of the incarnation that we just celebrated. The simple fact that if God really did become man, that changes everything for us. One writer claims that the core idea of the Christian faith is incarnation. But we don't often realize this. I don't, I don't often realize this. And we drift towards kind of a status quo of a God that's not that involved, doesn't really care, isn't that close. It's like a, this mindset is like a cosmic, I imagine like a cosmic parents just don't understand, you know, with our Heavenly Father, you know. He's just there. But if God became man, 
if the divine entered into flesh and blood, that status quo is pretty anemic. It's kind of a avoidance strategy to dealing with the real fact, the real fact that God is near. It's also kind of a hopeless way of being. It's kind of an uninteresting way of living, I think. Over break, I finished a, a book um, by one of my favorite teachers, and it's about um, the Gospels. And uh, he makes a statement in there, and he says, the Gospel writers are trying to teach us to become more interesting people by, ma- by teaching us to be more interesting readers. And I think he's, he's right. And he's talking about reading, but um, I think the story of the Gospel, the, the whole story of the Gospel, with its subtlety, its suspense, and the irony that God would become man, opens us up to become way more interesting people. I think way more interesting people in this new year. Because a new reality has been created. And in this new reality, if it wasn't before, it certainly is now that the earth is charged with the grandeur of God. Every little thing has a spark of possibility. Everything's a little more interesting than it was. So, you know, simple, self-oriented resolutions just won't do. I'm not going to tell you to cancel gym memberships or not to read books. That's all good stuff. But there's this kind of incarnational logic um, that we can bring into our resolutions or, or orient ourselves towards. One that understands that our, our bodies and our minds and every part of us matters because Jesus took on flesh. God came to save the world by being born into it. Incarnation is God's MO, who God is and how God is. For us to be with each other, um, we, we need to kind of be with God because as Emmanuel, God was with us. And, and somehow that creates the possibility that we can help others be with God. Uh, I think that's worth reorienting our lives in the lives of this church, this little church around at the beginning of this new year. So I'm going to invite Bradley to come and read um, the kind of tail end of a really familiar passage in John 1, uh, John 1, 9 through 18. He's going to read it out of the RSV, I think, just because the NIV is a little confusing. Oh, yeah, go for it. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. John bore witness to him and cried, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, for he was before me. And from his fullness have we all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only Son, 
who is in the bosom of the Father, he was made him known. Thanks, Brad. So I think, especially the first part of this passage in John's Gospel, it gives us some, some clues, a few things to reorient ourselves to in this new year. It says, The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. Have you all ever read John's Gospel? It's a pretty wild ride, right? It's really different than the other three Gospels, and, and they're to be viewed together. They're called the Synoptic Gospels, and John just kind of stands alone because he tells the story in a very different way. He, he somehow manages in his Gospel to be really kind of blunt and forward with his themes. He uses these big signs and symbols, um, but he's also so mysterious, Right? And if you take a language class, you always wind up translating John. Is this right, Joey? Because it's really easy Greek, but like the hardest exegesis, right? Like the hardest uh, interpretation. But throughout the gospel account, John um, does this thing, this marker, when he calls things true, uh, the true light in this passage. Later on, the true bread. And, And when he meets a woman at the well, Jesus uh, tells her that she'll be worshiping in spirit and in truth. Uh, Jesus' body and blood later becomes known as true food and true drink, etc. You can keep going. Uh, read it through and, and try to highlight every time that true or truth comes up. True marks that what he's talking about is real and genuine, even though uh, it doesn't appear so. It, it might be kind of ironic that it is so. That Jesus might be the true light of the world whose function would be to do the serious work of driving out darkness, of unmasking and exposing sin and death. That seems really ironic, really kind of preposterous for a little infant uh, born to an unwed teenager. Later in the Gospel, it seems really kind of bizarre for that to be a carpenter's son, in quotes, Uh, from Nazareth. Or even later, that the light of the world might be an alleged criminal hanging on a cross or a dead man. Yet Jesus is that, the true light of the world that enlightens every man, woman, and child. And maybe even a more audacious claim, and we're so used to this, we we don't realize how bizarre the story is. We're so used to it. But maybe a more audacious claim is the next part that claims that Jesus was part of creation. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. That true light was there with God's words, let there be light. That's the gospel power. That's the gospel irony. Revelation that God truly works in mysterious ways, surprising ways. That God shows strength and weakness and salvation in near despair. That the light would come into darkness. And then the next part, yet the world knew him not. That's got to be one of the most indicting statements, right? Because yeah, we're included in that. The world knew him not. God proves this over and over in the words of uh, Isaiah 55. 
that his ways are not our ways and our thoughts not his thoughts. Because we so often miss out on knowing him, on recognizing his fingerprints in our lives and in this world. Later on in John's Gospel, again, he flashes that truth. This is eternal life, that they would know, they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So I want to propose that that's our first reorientation for the new year, is to know him, to know Jesus. I think knowing means recognizing all the surprising ways that God's working through the characters and places you'd never quite expect. If that nativity story, you know, the one that we saw the kids acting out, if it shows us anything, it's that that salvation happens in really unlikely ways. Maybe knowing him in this new year comes by immersing ourselves in that story, by soaking ourselves in scripture and the word, so that uh, more and more reading yields more and more insight into ourselves, into our world, into the very being of God. And that knowing uh, calls us to prayer to wade deeper, deeper into the ocean of God's grace because we're not going to exhaust it. Knowing him means taking our hands off of our lives. How, how often do I just have a grip on what God is doing and could do? Maybe knowing him be, means for some of us being more risky and that's like the most terrifying thing in the world. Is just taking a little bit, of, like a little bit of risk. Maybe it means being more selfless, and maybe that is the most challenging thing in the world. Being more selfless with our finances or our, our image, you know, um, or our schedules. I know moms really value their schedules, you know, and to tinker with that is risking a lot. But and what if the byproduct of this knowing is to? Be blessed, sure, but also to bless others. Knowing Christ means being formed into the image of Jesus more and more every day. I had this high school baseball coach. He was about this tall and like a former like army guy. Like if you did something bad, you'd have to run with a bat over your head, which doesn't sound hard, but like you walk like 20 feet and your shoulders start to burn. But he used to challenge us to get 1% better every day. And that was like pretty good for high school students because you had to put it on the low shelf. Um, but to get 1%, that seems like low expectations, just 1% better every day because it's kind of a cumulative thing. And I think that's, that, that's kind of the difference between um, a resolution and a reorientation because a reorientation is a journey. It's step by step and brick by brick and it's just 1% every day. What if you became, you and I came, became more like Jesus, just 1% more like Jesus every day? We, we just take small bites, right? What if, what if we become 1% more like Jesus who, if we remember, gave 100% of himself for us, for sinners, for this world? When I was thinking about this challenge to know um, Jesus, to know God, uh, of course, you know, this is an easy cross-reference. Uh, a, a book, a classic book by J.I. Packer came up, and, and he talks about this being formed in the character of God and, and, and doing so because of 
the Incarnation. He calls it the Christmas Spirit. He says, For the Christmas Spirit is the spirit of those who, like their Master, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor, spending and being spent to enrich their fellow man, giving time and trouble and care and concern to do good to others, and not just their friends, in whatever way there seems to be need. So I think that's the, that's the 1% every day, if we can do that. 1%. Don't try to start all that now. That's like starting a marathon and like starting with a 20-mile run. You know, or... or um, has anyone in the room ever tried to do Bible in a year? Successfully? <laughs> Where'd you stop? Leviticus. <laughs> yeah, probably Leviticus. Yeah. Well, and that's the pro- That's so often the problem with these things is is, is we get task oriented and, and we either bite off too much that we're completely unequipped for, like going across the street to the Y and like racking up weights and thinking that just because we want to, we can do it. Um, or we just have a bad plan, you know? Um, but if, if we rather reorient ourselves, uh, I think we stand a better chance. And I think we stand a better chance also, not just because it's a, a little better style or a better plan, but because I think our reorientation happens reflexively. And here's what I mean by that. This is... First John tells us that we love because he first loved us. We can know God because Christ showed us what it looked like to live a life oriented towards God, towards knowing God. Because he and the Father were one. Because God made himself known to us in Christ. Because the Spirit makes it possible for us to be drawn into a knowing God type of life of rest and action and knowledge and obedience. We, we do this reflexively, not out of our own strength, but because of what we've been given and what we've been shown. That's grace. Our reorientation is always different than just resolution, because also because it's for others. You know, that was one of my first beefs with re- resolutions. I was normally pretty self-centered. Um, but I think our reorientation is for others. Think of Athanasius, and he kind of um, reformulates something Paul says a couple times in Second Corinthians. He says, Christ became man so that man might become divine. Paul says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Or later he says, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that you and your poverty might become rich. There's this kind of interaction. Our knowing must always involve our actions, our flesh and blood, and it always must point others towards knowing Jesus. So that's our first reorientation, is knowing him. And that's going to be a challenge, right? John's Gospel says he came and they did not know him. He then says, he came to his own home and his own people received him not. So what if our second reorientation is to receive him? How easy is it to forget once the Christmas season comes and it goes how central to our faith simple hospitality is? 
And I'm not just talking like holiday hospitality and like doilies and like, well, probably not, for this crowd, not doilies, like <laughs> mason jars and craft paper. Yeah. And how that we also forget how dire our in the hospitality can be. Uh, I, I, I don't think we'd forget this if we were on the other end of it. Um, what if this year we reoriented ourselves towards receiving Jesus? Here's what I mean by that. By making room in our hearts and in our lives for him to make himself at home. And to make himself at home in our lives. Christine Pohl, who, who talks a lot about hospitality, she reminds us that um, hospitality is really connected to our worship. She says, the life of hospitality begins in worship with a recognition of God's grace, God's generosity. Hospitality is not first a duty or a responsibility. It is first a response of love and gratitude for God's love and welcome to us. What if we continued our worship here this morning, every Sunday morning, in our potlucks, and then throughout the week? What if we continued that worship and it manifests itself as hospitality to others? What if we ask God to, to train our hearts to look for ways the people around us are begging to be received in love? That's like the craziest thing is, is people just want to be accepted, just want to be received. And they're rarely ever going to say that that's what they want. <laughs> this is a skill that personally I kind of rely on Rach for. She's really good at it. We're trying to teach our kids and, and that doesn't work so good. Like with Noah, it normally is kind of like don't impose yourself on that person. And we tell her, listen to this listen to the signals. We say, No, listen to the signals. He does not want you in his face. But but Rach is, has a much more amazing kind of relational intelligence, right? She seems to know just when someone needs something. Even and especially when they're not saying it. I've been blessed by a lot of you guys that know that too. That you start to, if you know someone well enough, that, that's our first reorientation is to know. If you know someone well enough, you start to intuit when they need to be received. When you need to make room for them. And, and this can be a kind word at the right time or like a box of, I don't know, fudge on your doorstep. And I, and I mean fudge. Um, it's a kind of anticipation that leads to hospitality. Like we start to anticipate what the other needs. Willingness to reach out or to let someone in. Just how most resolutions get busted because we get impatient or undisciplined uh, when we're trying to lose weight or learn a skill. We, we get frustrated at how hard it can seem to recognize opportunities for this. You know, like, uh, when someone's life like finally tanks and you're like, man, I wish I would have done something different there. I wish I would have helped them. You know, it, it requires us to, 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 to think deeply, to think well, and, and mostly just to pay attention. Again, our hospitality isn't something we can just conjure up on our own. It, it's reflexive. We're to receive Christ because he's received us. He was an agent in God's initial making room for humankind and all creation. 
his life and his ministry consistently received some of the most unsavory characters. And then in the farewell discourse, in John 15 is what it's called, Jesus receives his disciples not as servants, but as friends. Friendship is part of hospitality. And our receiving is for our sake and for the sake of others. We're not just doing someone a a favor by this. The writer of Hebrews reminds us of this kind of, uh, what what this kind of attentiveness does to us. In, In chapter 13, the writer says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for in so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Like, imagine in this year, like, that's the type of life that you were living, where every single person you came across was an opportunity to serve an angel. Or, as Jesus says um, in, in the parable about the, the king, um, an opportunity to actually serve Jesus. They say, when did I see you naked? When did I see you... Uh, hungry. When did I visit? When did I not visit you in jail? And he says, "What you did to the least of these, you did to me." Hospitality uh, keeps us sharp, keeps us on our toes. It orients us outward instead of like my tendency is to curve in on myself. Hospitality makes us thankful. It it makes us open-handed and generous, even as it does provide for someone else. And that way, it's it's kind of a economy of abundance instead of scarcity. Hospitality gives us a chance for friendship and makes room for forgiveness and reconciliation. Maybe the most hospitable thing you can do is forgive someone the minor grievance that you've been holding on that's been eating you alive for all of 2014. And then in the next uh, verse, in, in verses 12 and 13, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So finally, our reorientation number three is believe in him. There's a couple parts to this invitation, this reorientation. It's an, first off, it is an invitation to be a Christian. Whether you're not one or whether you are one, it's an invitation Believe in Jesus. Maybe it's the first time that you've ever been invited to be a Christian, and in that case, what's stopping you from believing in Jesus? You don't need to have it sorted out, what all that means, or what it might entail, or where he might send you, or what he might make you. That would be a resolution. This is a reorientation. (laughs) God becoming man in Jesus gives us a critical choice and a chance. It's a choice to know God and to receive him in a hundred small ways every day for the sake of others. Or not. <laughs> and it's a, it's a chance. John says it's the power to become God's child. If you keep reading in John's Gospel just a few chapters on, Jesus talks to one of the religious elites in the shadows about being born again. Nicodemus, he's interested in this new kind of life this with God reorientation but he just doesn't know how it works he can't really figure it out he doesn't understand what it might mean to become God's child his best analogies are biological (laughs) but God's call is divine if incarnation shows us anything it's that divinity chooses to have a lot to do with flesh and blood 
that being born again doesn't mean entering into your mother's womb again, but it means having your world turned upside down and then being built back up brick by brick and step by step with Jesus as the cornerstone, the one the builders rejected. If you haven't been baptized and you want to be baptized in 2015, tell me. Tell someone um, this is a great way to, to really show this reorientation. And, and, and it's kind of cool that Christian tradition gets this because uh, traditionally in baptism you face one direction and you turn and reorient yourself away from sin and towards life. Um, it, it is a physical, flesh and blood, incarnated sign of reorientation. And this is also an invitation for uh, the Christians. <laughs> for If you started believing uh, when you were five or 25 or can't remember when you didn't believe, that's okay. Believing in Jesus and living as God's child isn't a one-off thing. It's a continuous, growing, dynamic thing. It's something we often let go stagnant. In a moment during our time of conversation with God and confession, we'll confess together our tendency to live out of unfaith, unbelief, the failure to, to be the church that God calls us to be. And we know this reorientation to, to believe in Jesus is also reflexive. We've seen in Jesus what it means to live by faith always open to the Father, even in the face of adversity and abandonment and fear and death, even on the cross. We see that Jesus' faith didn't close him down, but it opened him up to others. So many people reject faith because they think it's going to make their world smaller. When I think if we look at Jesus, we see his world opening up to others. And we see that when Jesus called others children of God, even those whose stars didn't seem to align, they, they were in the wrong places or the wrong bloodline, they'd done the wrong things, that they're still called and accepted to be children of God. So that's the challenge for Oak Church for this new year, to reorient ourselves in the life, um, our life together, to know Jesus, to receive Jesus, and to believe in Jesus as his children. If the Incarnation tells us anything, it's that God chooses to be specific. Think about that. Think about how broadly God could have affected his salvation. You know, how, how, how big, how powerful, how mighty, and yet God essentially chose to limit himself to one person in one place. It's kind of surprising. And I think that's also going to be part of our call for this year, to kind of limit ourselves, to work all these things out in this place, this place that God's put us in, Lakewood, for the sake of these people, real people, not hypothetical people or, or numbers, but actual faces and names and stories. The word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, moving into the neighborhood, as the uh, Peterson paraphrase says, motivates us to flesh out our faith in the neighborhood. To get specific, to make plans and appointments, to take risks. And to reorient to knowing God uh, might mean making a concrete plan. You know, um, I, I want to kind of think 
I'm just kind of brainstorming some of these. These aren't like, these are some of the things I came up, or I started to come up with, and hopefully they'll like prime your pumps for like con concrete plans. And I, I'd beg you guys to, to think of these separately, to think of them together, and, and um, I think it'll give us a lot of momentum and collaboration here. But some of our concrete plan, like, again, like you wouldn't just start running a, if you want to run a marathon, you don't just start running a marathon, you do small things. You condition yourself slowly and steadily. Ask someone to partner with you. So if you want to know God, if, if that's your reorientation, set up a regular time to read scripture and to pray. Uh, make an appointment and put it on your calendar if you have to. Like, if you're like me, it's, if it's not there, it's not going to happen. Commit to um, doing this with someone else too. Partner with someone. Um, have someone ask you about it. Or come to, not tomorrow night, but next next week and on, holy yoga as a, a bodily, physical, flesh and blood expression of prayer and worship. Come to Wednesday morning prayer on the steps. We're here every Wednesday, 7.30 a.m., usually with scones or donuts. Um, or think about leading that sometime. We, we have a good script to do it. Joey's always there with coffee mugs and team up with someone um, and schedule a prayer walk. Right? Like That's kind of an old school thing to do, but a pretty powerful thing to do. When we knocked on doors for our block party, that was um, one of the most like energizing things that, that I think we've done is just to, to you know, have the rubber hit the road and, and get out there and to meet people, to invite people. Uh, use our, our time during potluck, um, use it well. Like that's like built-in time. I know a lot of us are busy. That's built-in time on a weekly basis to, to, to talk to people, to ask good questions, to listen to their answers, to listen to the things that they're not saying, um, to purpose not to sit with the same person every time, but maybe only once a month. Like set rules if you have to. That's not a, that's not a bad thing. But be creative. Like I'm, I'm thinking... Um, and this is very specific to me, but like uh, of doing one day of sermon prep, like sitting at the bus stop just down the road, because like by dislocating myself physically, I, I think it'll locate my, myself a little better and m maybe make my sermons better. Um, think about uh, serving um, with the food ministry uh, that is part of Canoe, and it meets Wednesdays at noon, and they. They serve probably two dozen, three dozen people every week. Um, and that's about an hour and a half of time. My big Christmas present this year was, was um, Rosetta, Rosetta Stone, Spanish. And so hold me to that. That is kind of a resolution, but hopefully it's for the sake of others and not just that I can like watch Telemundo. Um, you know, like may, maybe... Maybe things this year uh, involve um, other local things like like Lakewood Elementary School. Like we we've begun to talk to them in 2014, and and uh, nothing so far has materialized relationship-wise, but it, it's becoming evident that there's plenty of opportunities. Um, or you know like uh, this heavy advent that we just came through with all the the, um, the stuff with Ferguson and. And uh, New York City and, and, and all these 
these racial rifts. We can talk about it, we can post about it, we can advocate for it, but, you know, like, we, we gave a Christmas Eve offering to Jubilee Home, which is an up-and-coming home for young men who have aged out of the juvenile system and need to learn in community life skills and um, need, need to, to be reoriented. Like, that is concrete, physical, faces and names, way to serve, way to be involved, rather than some kind of up-in-the-air advocacy. That is incarnational. Uh, I'd love, email me if you have ideas, because, like, this is exciting stuff, and this will be exciting for us for Oak Church. Orient um, yourself towards others, towards receiving others, and, and others in Christ. And, and, and I, I kind of came up with some of these things, like building time into your schedule, as I said, being more gen- generous with resources, like... Um, you're always passing that guy when, when you pull off the interstate and, and you're just like, man, I don't have a way to receive him. I don't know what to do. Pack an extra lunch, you know? Like that, that's like the smallest thing you can do that, that might make a little bit of a difference. And then when you give it to the guy or, or lady, like look them in the eyes and know that they're a person made in God's image. Schedule, you know, if you, if you want to be more generous, um, schedule an auto draft. Like that is like the most... Like, that is actually kind of, like, excarnational because it's not physical. But, like, it's going to happen, right? Like, so many people, like, like are getting, like, their uh, their PayPal's, like, pinged at, like, 11.38 on New Year's Eve because everyone just forgot to tithe or forgot to give, you know, to organizations. Like, get in a rhythm. Do it regularly. Like, some, some of you here, like, write a check every week, and that is so awesome, you know, like, um, it, it's smaller, it's less impressive than if you like dumped it all at the end of the year, but it's like, I, I think it's probably um, does something to you to do that on a weekly basis. If you want to be hospitable, commit, you know, maybe you and, and your family or you and your roommates or just you, like commit to hosting a stranger um, for dinner or dessert once a month, like just once a month. And and if that's really scary or intimidating or you don't have a place to do it, team up with someone and, and do it with them. Or get involved with serving with Oak Kids, like all the Resolute people over there right now. Like once a month, and, and that'll like really lighten up the load for some people that are serving like two or three and sometimes four times a month. And that is a really good way to show hospitality to them, to show hospitality to our kids. You never brought something to potluck, Bring something. Don't, don't start huge. Like, don't, like, do this four-course meal. Like, bring some Bojangles or, you know, like, make something out of a box. That's a good start, and it'll taste good. Help us plan for our community garden in the spring. Like, maybe that's a way. Like, and not just the food part of it, but the involvement part of it. How we'll include people. Um... Simple things. Then small steps, creative steps. Like if you're watching a game, invite someone to come watch the game with you. You're all invited to watch a game today um, at 1 o'clock, unless you're a Bengals fan, and then you're not invited to watch the game. Titus will kick you out. Uh, lastly, orient, your, orient ourselves to believing in God by living into the rest and assurance that we're his children. The last couple of days I've been watching Titus well, I say a couple days. It's been 
36 hours. I've been watching Titus by myself um, while Rachel Noah took an adventure. And every five minutes, um, Noah will turn to Rachel and say, are we on an adventure, Mom? Like, are we still on this adventure? Um, but this, this 36 hours has been more like sustained close-up time with him that I think I've ever had. I know more than I've ever had with him, but probably more than I've ever had with Noah. Like, you just don't spend that much time only with someone. I don't know how single parents do this. Um, but it's been really cool because I've been getting to observe what Titus takes being my child to mean. If you let me make the analogy here. He, he trusts me to feed him. He trusts me um, to give him rest. He has faith. He believes in me uh, to be with him as he plays or when he's scared. Um, he's a baby. He, he, he trusts me to be with him when he's confused and has no idea what he wants. You know, Believing, trusting, it probably takes its greatest expression for him when he's completely worn out, completely exhausted, and he just like dissolves into you, right? As, I, as you rock him before bedtime. Consider this year some of the ways to rest in God this new year. And again, some small things, some, some creative things. Um, don't get too fancy here. Observe a Sabbath. That's like the most basic thing. Take a day of rest, and that might be the hardest, seem like the hardest thing to do. As much as we, it seems to maybe like handicap your week, it is not only a source of rest, but it's a sign of faith. It's believing in God. It's trusting that God will do it because God has already done it. Even God took the seventh day off. <laughs> Be creative with small expressions of belief, of faith throughout the week and in ways that you'll grow stronger in your faith for the sake of others. Always, again, always do this for others. It's not to build ourselves up or improve ourselves, but it's for others. Can you guys pray with me? Uh, Father, we ask that you orient us to you. Help us turn um, away from the, the ways that we're going that are away from you. Help us turn towards you in this year. Help us orient our thoughts, our actions, our imaginations, our hearts, the things we love to you and to the things that you love and the people you love. Help us not just live in our heads or in hypotheticals, but in flesh and blood because you came to live in flesh and blood. Father, help us come to know you more and better to receive you and receive others to believe in you, to trust in you, to put our faith uh, our futures, our presence, our past, everything in you. Because you care for us. Hear us um, in this time of conversation with you. Um, speak to us and let us hear you. 
help us um, disconnect from from all of the things that we're tethered to, all the, the tapes that are running in our head, all the things that we think we need to be thinking about when all we need to do is rest in you. <laughs>